Thursday, July 6, 2007, about 4.30 p.m. I'm just wondering what the heck is in our water supply? What the heck is in our oxygen supply of the metallic oxide salts that create a rainbow effect in a sprinkler? What is oozing out of our ground that allows this type of effect to happen? Not just around our sun and our moon anymore. Everywhere we look, the visible spectrum is rainbows. This cannot be natural. We all know it wasn't something that happened 20 years ago, but now it's happening now. Whoa, that's a full rainbow all the way. Double rainbow, oh my god. It's a double rainbow all the way. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. All right, everybody, welcome back to Project Archivist. You know, we already recorded this intro once, but... Yeah. <laughs> the thing about that is... The thing about that is, okay, we have Adam Gorightly on the show with us tonight. Adam Gorightly is a conspiracy... Uh, I don't want to call him theorist, but he's more of a conspiracy historian. He covers mm -hmm. a lot of weird and unusual stuff. Um... We'll rehash the intro that we recorded. I got, I had some high blood pressure, got put on medication. I did end up going to Mexico. I'm now here. Um, Lobo traded in his car and got a better car. Um, what else do we like? Oh, yeah, we're, I'm going to be busy in August. Lobo's going to be busy in August. The show schedule is going to be out of whack. We're going to have episodes coming. Don't lose. Don't panic. We've got some really good episodes in the works. Back to this show. <laughs> what the okay. hell is that? I feel like I'm in a Micro Machines commercial. <laughs> They'll understand when they hear it. Yes. We're not 100% certain. Well, we're fairly certain. We think that while we were recording this show, uh, Mr. Go Rightly was... was um, Imbibing. Imbibing, alcoholically lubricated, if you will, um, in the show. It's interesting to listen to. This isn't normally the kind of Project Archivist show we would put out there, but hey, we had the guest on, and we interviewed him, and he does have some pretty good information. Sure. He does. He really does talk about a lot of cool stuff, and I, I promise, I, I know the, for a fact I'm going to have edited the show up, because there's at one point where I spill a drink all over the place. <laughs> and and uh, crickets. And uh, this is not good. This is dead air. Um, <laughs> How do you hold a hamburger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what? Just this is our for the laws interview show. Just listen to it, and uh, hopefully, you know, just try to laugh it as well as we did. But um, so uh, here's Adam Go Rightly. Enjoy. All 
right, everybody. As we said in the intro, we have with us Mr. Adam Golrightly, and you've got your new book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. And if you don't mind me saying, you come across me very much as, as much like a Hunter S. Thomas. If Hunter S. Thomas covered this stuff, I feel that this is what he would sound like. Well, thanks, first of all, for the Hunter S. Thompson uh, comparison. Love that dude. How long have I been doing this? Is that uh, the question? How did I get into this? Yeah, what's how how do because the stuff you cover isn't normal conspiracy stuff. Um, you cover you cover the backroads conspiracy stuff. You don't take the normal mm-hmm. route of Kennedy assassinations. And even when you do cover that stuff, you've covered it from a very different aspect, which is something that I bonded with immediately. So this yeah. gives me the impression that you've really gone out and done a lot of different research on this stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if I. Uh would classify myself as a conspiracy theorist anymore, even though the book title is a conspiracy, the subtitle is a conspiracy theorist tour guide, and that's something the publisher came up with. I, you know, delve into these areas, and probably at one time when I first started getting into this stuff, I probably classify myself as a conspiracy theorist, but you mentioned uh, I don't get into the typical stuff. Actually, I started uh, my interest uh, was the JFK assassination uh, originally a long time ago, and this uh, I remember this was probably in the mid-80s uh, in a Central California junior college. I was uh, walking around the college, and I saw a poster that said, did the CIA kill JFK? That kind of blew my mind. I'd never been exposed to that, so I started looking into the JFK assassination. I really went down that rabbit hole, and eventually off the deep end, but that's what kind of got me into uh, looking into conspiracy theories. And actually, I'm working on a book about the JFK assassination right now. But also, you know, and I've talked about it quite a bit in the late 70s, I had a strange, uh, goofy, psychedelic UFO experience, which kind of warped me too. So I had that interest in the uh, paranormal. So yeah, I've had these interests for a long time. And I've uh, tried to seek out and uh, bring uh, forth stories, you know, that (laughs) other people hadn't looked into, you know, like in the book, the whole Tuesday Weld uh, thing where she's an Illuminati high priestess, that that conspiracy theory. And I had my, uh, did a podcast for a few years, Untamed Dimension. I tried to not have the typical guests on, you know, tried to have people that uh, hadn't really been heard from. One one of them uh, was uh, Solaris Blue Raven, who uh, claims that uh, the group Rush is mind controlling her. So what? I remember. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> don't 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 laugh now. You could be uh, next. And I don't place judgment on these people. I uh, kind of take in their uh, story at uh, face value, and uh, it's kind of. It, and I get emails from folks now and then saying, "Do you really believe this?" And I. It's, I don't even approach it from that uh, angle, you know. If that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah it's it, whether or not you believe it, believe the story or not, you believe that they believe it. So that's enough, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm probably more now looking at it uh, some kind of anthropologist than I am a uh, quote unquote conspiracy uh, theorist. But I do uh, quote unquote kind of believe in you know, some conspiracies, uh, the JFK assassination, you know, uh, obviously I think, uh, 
that's something that triggered a lot of things afterwards, but I believe that was a very high-level conspiracy. I believe, uh, you know, the CIA was messing around with MKUltra, maybe most likely uh, did try to create Manchurian candidates, but uh, some of these... uh, you know, theories have uh, bred other theories like uh, Project Monarch, and now you hear these stories about the super soldiers and all this. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, like the uh, reptilian meme and uh, all these other things get planted in the consciousness of a culture and sometimes take on a life of their own and whether there maybe there's some initial nugget, uh, some little bit of truth there. At the beginning, they maybe get uh, confabulated and grow into uh, much more than, you know, from where they actually started. But once again, uh, you know, people, uh, some people buy in and believe in these things and it's real to them, whether it's uh, whether it's real to us. The hip hop Illuminati thing has always fascinated (laughs) Mm -hmm. me. That one has never yeah. really made a whole lot of sense because the Illuminati <laughs> has nothing to do with hip hop, and it's just kind of weird that the the hip hop world has made the Illuminati into this thing, where it, yeah. you know when you know the history, like me and myself and Lobo have looked into the history of the Illuminati. We were going to do a show on it, and we eventually just said the hell with this. This is too crazy to even try to delve into right now, and. It's like the Illuminati just jumped into this, you know, the hip hop world, grabbed the Illuminati and ran with that. It's like, really? You know, that's that's bizarre. But, you know, OK, yeah. I guess so. That's that's <laughs> another one of those uh, pop culture memes, you know, that how the yeah, how the hip hop uh, folks latched on to I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it was like 10 years ago or so. And somebody clued me in. Hey, the rappers are doing stuff, you know, about the Illuminati. Go, oh, OK, that's interesting Uh, yeah (laughs) let me let me touch on something about the uh, illuminati and how that was really launched into popular culture and i touched it on it a bit in my book the uh, prankster and the conspiracy i i knew robert anton wilson a bit he was kind of a mentor to me i uh, interviewed him for that book on carrie thornley the prankster and the conspiracy and started looking into uh, the history of the illuminati and of course Wilson was well-versed. And what I discovered, that it was around 68, Wilson was an editor at uh, Playboy for what was known as the Playboy Forum. And uh, you're probably familiar with that. They uh, Wouldn't know a thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times the uh, forum was more, uh, I'm getting the two confused, there was the Playboy Advisor and the Playboy Forum, and one asked uh, more sexually related questions, and the one Wilson was the editor for was more politically oriented. And so he got interested in the Illuminati around the same time that uh, Kerry Thornley did. They were looking into it. And basically, Wilson planted a letter in the uh, Playboy forum, and he he wrote the uh, question, and he also (laughs) wrote the answer for it. But the question was, they were asking if all the major political assassinations back then, RFK, MLK, JFK, the person asking this question uh, had heard rumor that the Illuminati was behind it. 
And, of course, uh, Wilson went on to answer it and kind of uh, drew an outline of the Illuminati, its origins. And what this kind of what this did was help start a meme into popular uh, culture, because before they started really talking about the Illuminati, wasn't that uh, prevalent all of a sudden, as Wilson noticed, all of a sudden on each side of the political uh, spectrum from uh, uh, religious folks on the right to uh, liberals on the left started talking about the Illuminati and, and this kind of uh, grew and evolved over the years and of course uh, later on Wilson wrote the Illuminatus trilogy with Bob Shea but if you look at you know the origins of Illuminati in popular culture uh, Robert Anton Wilson had a hell of a lot to do with it, and it should be noted, the last time I talked to Bob, probably around 2003, you know, there were these rumors that he was the head of some branch of the Illuminati, and I asked him <laughs> point blank, uh, Bob, are you the head of the Illuminati? I've, I've heard such, and he said, no, I'm the toe. And uh, <laughs> Anyway, I didn't know quite what to do with that, but my motive for asking him, I wanted him to appoint me as a high priest of the Illuminati, and I asked him if he would, and he did. So now you're talking to a uh, genuine high priest of the Bavarian Illuminati. <laughs> the Bavarian Illuminati, so you are old school and of the original flock. I got a question for you guys, and you can you can roll on this if you want. I noticed I was out in uh, Colorado recently at the same time of the uh, shooting we're not going to talk about. But I noticed uh, <clears throat> I went out to eat a few times, and I was eating, having dinner with a fellow from, from that regional area. And when he was eating... Uh, you know, we had hamburgers quite a bit or uh, sandwiches. And when he'd eat it, he'd grab the uh, hamburger with one or two hands and hang on to it through the course of eating it till he was done. And then I usually when I eat a hamburger, I'll take a bite, set it down, you know, then uh, pick it up again when I want another bite. But I noticed it seemed kind of odd to me. I hadn't really paid attention before. But then I noticed other people, when we went out to eat, they were eating their hamburgers the same way, a lot of them. Huh. This just seemed curious. How do, how do you guys eat your uh, well, sandwiches or hamburgers? What the hell are you talking about? Uh, Recently, I went to eating it and putting it down. But before that, I always held on to it because I always had somebody trying to take it from me when I was growing up. Okay, it could be a childhood thing. I think I eat it one-handed, actually. You hang on through uh, to the no, course of No, I think of, I set it down. I think I might set it down because I'm okay. right-handed, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, you know what? I've never paid attention, to be honest I with you. I down now. My wife got me out of that. I also used to put my arm around the outside of my plate when I was eating, like I was hovered over my food. You spent time in prison, I take mm -mm. it. No, never. <laughs> she goes. She goes with my first, with our first kid. She goes. You realize that you're no longer in that environment, and you're not a wolf. You don't have to protect <laughs> your food. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. On on the Illuminati. Before we get off of that uh, yeah. topic, you guys familiar familiar with Carrie Thornley at all? The subject of my uh, book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy. I have yes. Okay, he was indicted by Jim Garrison as part of you know the DA that was uh, in the Oliver Stone movie, of course, mm -hmm. who uh, investigated the uh, JFK assassination, and Thornley was what the target of his probe. Right, and. Uh, there were folks on Garrison's investigative staff, uh, 
one fellow in uh, particular, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, that uh, believed that the Illuminati, Bavarian Illuminati, was the uh, behind JFK's assassination. This was one of Garrison's staff. Hmm. Kerry Thornley, who had been looking into the <laughs> Illuminati when he caught wind of this, he thought he'd screw around he, with the, uh, Garrison and his staff all the more. Kerry was quite a, a prankster, so he started claiming that, indeed, uh, he was part of the Bavarian Illuminati, and he and Robert Anton Wilson and these guys created this letterhead. And I've come across a lot of the original letters. They'd send them out as uh, pranks to people. And they all had uh, different uh, names. Uh, Thornley used Omar Kayam Ravenhurst. And, uh, <laughs> I remember hearing that, that name before. Yeah, and Wilson was Mordecai the Foul. Yes. And they all, yes. Had, they all had different names. And they used this Bavarian letterhead to send letters to all kinds of people like uh, Richard Nixon, for instance, or... The John Birch Society just kind of screwing around with them, saying, "Yes, we are the uh, Bavarian Illuminati, and we are here, and this is our secret worldwide global agenda that's not secret anymore." Wasn't and one so you can see in general, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I think they sent one. I remember hearing about that. I remember hearing one being sent to the Surgeon General about poisoning. Which <laughs> times are so different now. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Right. I have. Um, I inherited, or these were passed on to me, not inherited, that's not the right word, but I have a lot of these original uh, documents, which eventually will end up in a uh, book, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. This is, what year would we figure this was the, uh, the Illuminati's, what, 104th birthday or something, or what was it? No, it went. Uh, it was tied around the French Revolution in the... Uh, American Revolution, so the in the 1700s. Yeah, it's coming up on what 200 and change. That might be what it was. I'm sure it was something yeah. more along those lines. But yeah, they well, 1776 uh, to 1976 was the 200 year bicentennial. Well, they burned out fairly quickly, anyways. They were only around. I think the Bavarian Illuminati was only. I can't even say it correctly. Was around for what 20 years or something like that tops. 25 years. That's what they want you to believe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Then <laughs> Robert Anton Wilson anyway, inherits him. Yeah, <laughs> and his uh, series of books, you know, you had the uh, Illuminatus, but also a great series are the historical Illuminatus books. And he, uh, he there's a lot of great uh, information in those books about the uh, Illuminati and also magical ritual, and uh, it's just a great historical series, three three part uh, series which I'd recommend folks to read. I, I like the historical Illuminatus a lot more than the uh, Illuminatus trilogy. Well, let's jump into your new book. Right at the very beginning of it, you bring up a topic about Southern California and the amount of, of crazy cults that it's attracted and the cult activity yeah. that's happened around Southern California. And you bring up a few of these cults in there. So let's start off with the first one that you talk about right off the bat, which is known as the Great Eleven Club. What's the history and mm -hmm. the background behind those guys? Well, the reason I got into the Great Eleven Club is that they were situated in the same area that the Manson family later hung out in the uh, Santa Susana Knolls where Spawn Ranch was. The uh, Great Eleven were in that area in the uh, early 19. 20s. They were also known as the Blackburn Cult mm -hmm. and also as the Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven, whatever the hell that is, or the Great Eleven Club. 
they were one of those uh, cults that doing some odd stuff, especially for the 1920s. But I guess cults have always been doing a bunch of odd stuff. There was stories about, uh, you know, these ritualistic uh, ceremonies where they're dancing nude around uh, bonfires and such. And the leader of this uh, cult was a lady named uh, May Otis Blackburn. And uh, they got into a bit of uh, trouble when they baked a disciple in a brick oven to, like, cure her of some kind of uh, <laughs> sickness. <laughs> That'll put it down. And, uh, and the desi- disciple, yeah, she was cured. She uh, died, too. That uh, took care <laughs> of uh, things. Oops. After that, the... Uh, cult mysteriously uh, disappeared and they later i think they ended up in the lake tahoe area for a period of uh, time and uh, shortly after that they kind of uh, disappeared for good i just somehow i stumbled upon the uh, newspaper article about 20 years about the uh, cult and cut it out and they're pretty interesting nobody's really covered them uh, yeah i've never heard much. of them before. what blackburn yeah. cult the great 11 club i'd never oh. i'd never even heard of them before i mean, mean i know there's there's all kinds mm-hmm. of these little weird cults that pop up all over the place but i i never heard of that one and that's that's the kind of stuff you cover in here well the founder i mean she be, she believed emphatically that she was given revelations from angels i mean like straight up so she thought she was heard, sylvia brown well her and her daughter mm-hmm. too so i mean they were like yeah. They were, uh, I mean, they believe, well, like most cults, I mean, you get that with a lot of cults. They believe they have divine intervention. But, I mean, in that period of time, in the 20s, and you had, you know, in that area, that was like, wow. Uh, There's a lot of weirdness going on in the 20s and 30s in uh, California. There's all kinds of cults, (laughs) religious orders, and actually the daughter was pretty hot. I don't think... uh, (laughs) trying to remember i'd need to open up the book but i don't think we were able to get a uh, photo of the uh, daughter and mother i had this one photo where the daughter was sitting in the mother's lap it was kind of uh, humorous but i don't think that made it into the book that tells you how well i uh, know what's in my books but no nah, uh, it's not in here i i meant it to be for some reason it slipped through the cracks but i must commend my uh, publisher who goes by the handle groucho gandhi he did a, a real good job of pulling that book together because originally it just started as kind of road trip uh, stories and was half its size and I was calling it uh, On the Road with Adam Go Rightly which is kind of a dud title and he came up with the uh, title Happy Trails to High Weirdness and kind of conjoled me and kept poking me give me more material and eventually it it ended up being uh, what you have now around 240 pages of stuff.
about the fountain of the world yeah they were uh that same area basically around uh santa susana it's near actually chatsworth california which is the uh porn capital of the United States, <laughs> all the basic same area, and the Fountain of the World, they were established in the uh, late 40s, and the leader of the group was a guy named, went by the name of Krishna Vinta, and his real name was Francis Penkovic, I believe is the pronunciation. He had a long career as a uh, con man, and uh parlayed that into his own little cult, you know, much like uh, other folks who have been much more successful, like L. Ron Hubbard and others. <laughs> Weren't the Krishnas involved with ha- that as well? Hardy Krishna? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't believe they were. Uh, they belonged to uh, Krishna Vinta's cult. But uh, hmm. And so what happened uh, eventually, and they were kind of set up like a, a religious order of nuns and monks, that type of thing. Of course, uh, Krishna was the main man, and like in a lot of uh, cults, uh, he called the shots as far as who could have sex with who, and a lot of times it was like, well, the women can just have sex with me. And of course, that (laughs) perturbed some of the husbands of the nuns, and a couple of these guys, they were two former members of the uh, group, because I guess they got pissed off that he was diddling the Krishna was diddling their wives. They brought in a case of dynamite and blew the joint up nice. and killed Krishna Vinta. This was in 1958. And so, uh, but the uh, order continued on over the years. And I'm not sure, I don't, I'm not, they probably died out in the 60s or so, the late 60s. But uh, at that time, the, uh, they associated a bit with the Manson family, or I should say that some of Charlie's in the Charlie and his girls went around to the Fountain of the World compound, which was adjacent to Spawn Ranch, and they tried to uh, basically usurp the order. And because uh, Madsen was always on the uh, prowl for more followers and more outposts, areas he could uh, take over. So that's the uh, story of the Fountain of the World. The reason I talk about those uh, two cults in the uh, this piece. Uh, Southern California cult Mecca mm. was their close relation to the Manson family and where they were located. Did they ever actually pull any members into the Manson family, or was it just they were just kind of doing the neighborly thing and walking over and hanging out and drinking beers, or you know, is <laughs> actually pull anybody in, or did it just kind of go off? Manson did, wasn't able to pull anybody in, as far as I know, from the uh, Fountain of the World. That was his intent, intent of going over there. Who who knows? He might have he. He was, uh, the family was such a loose-knit, and uh, he might have picked up a couple folks from the fountain of the world. Well, you've also got in here that they they hooked up with the Solar Order of the OTO. Now, was that the same OTO from England, or was this an offshoot OTO that somebody just started up over here? Well, it's not too clear, actually, uh, that they hooked up with the uh, Solar Order of the OTO. This was a Southern California branch. And they had roots to the uh, British OTO and to uh, Jack Parsons Lodge. They were loosely associated. Uh, of course, Jack Parsons had his uh, lodge, the Agape Lodge, the branch of the OTO in the uh, basically in the 40s and 50s. Of course, uh, some of your listeners, I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, Jack Parsons. Mm-hmm. We are, but and, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how much everybody else is going to be. True. True. 
Well, where to go? There was the Solar Lodge that I talk about in the book. They were established in the uh, 60s by this gal named Georgiana Brayton, who was, uh, her and her husband kind of started the cult, and they were into Thelemic magic, uh, you know, students of the Crowleyan religion, and a lot of people connect them uh, to the Manson family. Ed Sanders did in his book, uh, The Family. Now, it's not quite clear if that connection is there, but there's a lot of things that hint at it. Manson visited a place called the Spiral Staircase, which was on the uh, beach there in uh, Southern California near out in Topanga Canyon or out in that area, mm-hmm. and uh, claimed that that's where they met a bunch of the uh, heavy magical people that turned their trip uh, more dark and uh, Put kind of put that evil undercurrent in it. Manson, in his own world words, claims that the uh, spiral staircase house was uh, owned by a woman named Gina, which is close to Georgiana Brayton, who was with the uh, Solar Lodge. This Brayton gal, she owned a lot of property around uh, L.A., so that you know that's one of the connection. Other people claim that the Manson family visited the uh, Solar Lodge headquarters in uh, southern uh, in Los Angeles, and they also had an outpost in the desert. And the Solar Lodge, they were also had this in-world philosophy that kind of dovetailed with the uh, Manson family at, as well. So. Yeah, they there's had a very no apocalyptic clear, view. Yeah, so there's no clear proof that they actually crossed paths, but it's kind of hard to believe that they uh, didn't. The Manson family seemed to be everywhere during that uh, period and interacted with all these folks in the movie industry and the uh, rock and roll industry. Also, you know, there's uh, a lot of uh, information that suggests they also uh, interacted with the Process Church of the Final Judgment as well, which was a very notorious cult uh, that was active during that period who also had their uh, roots from British occultism. And actually, the Process Church of the Final Judgment came out of Scientology, of all things, which can be (laughs) traced back uh, to Jack Parsons and his lodge in uh, Los Angeles. So uh, kind of throwing a lot of stuff at you there. No, that's fine. But Manson had, he had his fingers in all of this stuff going on at this time. He was really that involved with all these different aspects of these things? Well, his name shows up when you start looking into these things. Uh, I started writing the Manson book in the late 90s. For many years, I had heard all these theories that the Manson family was some type of military mind control uh, experiment and they were wrapped up in MK Ultra. and there's a lot of these theories swirling around out there and so that's what initially got me interested I started poking around and looking into all this and uh, like a lot of things when you dip your toes into certain waters, you go down rabbit holes, you start making connections that never seem to stop. So originally I was just going to write a book about these Manson family uh, conspiracies. So I started looking into all those and at uh, some point I figured if I was going to tell the story, I really needed to tell the whole story, writing about Manson's uh, youth and the beginning of the Manson families became pretty obsessive. I probably spent three or four years working on that. Jesus. Yeah, and when the first edition was done, it was over, uh, God, I need to pull it out, 600 pages. 
Holy shnikes. Yeah. In 2009, we did a uh, updated version where I was able to go in there and clean up and get rid of things I didn't uh, want. So it's more of the lean, leaner, meaner uh, version. But So going down this uh, path, you saw all these connections. Manson was deeply embedded in the rock music uh, world. He was good friends with uh, Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. He was courted by so Man or so Charlie says, Terry Melcher, who was a big-time producer, the son of uh, Doris Day, who was producer for the Birds and a lot of the hot groups back then that really started the whole 60s psychedelic uh, rock scene. Melcher also owned the house that he uh, later uh, leased out to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, where the murders went down. Uh, he knew... You know, this is talking about rock music, folks. Uh, Neil Young thought highly of Charlie Manson, thought he was a talented uh, lyricist. Manson huh. family at, oh, yeah. Wow, he can write lyrics, but, man, the guy can't sing worth a lick. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> if he had to wig out, would he actually have had a chance in the industry, or he, would they have just let him burn out? He could sing enough that they could have produced some hits. I mean, he could sing a lot better than Sony Sonny Bono could. But That's if you true. have the uh, true. <laughs> the right the right production and you know what you're doing, you can make uh, people sound good. I think, yeah, he could have been a uh, could have been a uh, star, and instead of being in uh, prison now, he could be uh, sitting in a hot tub uh, smoking a fat one with a <laughs> surrounded by the gorgeous babes, but. I forgot uh, how we got down this path, but uh, the well, connections there, you know, it, it goes back. Uh, Manson had in uh, prison, he became exposed to uh, Scientology and became that's where a I was student. Going. <laughs> so, but let's back up from that and look. I'm, I'm not sure which direction, but let's go backwards and look at uh, the history of uh, Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard, who got uh, connected with Jack Parsons. We'll give a little bit of uh, background on Jack Parsons. He was a renowned sci uh, rocket scientist, basically helped devise, develop the uh, solid fuel rocket technology that eventually catapulted man to the moon. Uh, he helped uh, found jet propulsion laboratories and so was a major player in uh, rocket technology back in the day, the uh, early 40s and into the uh, 50s. He was also a uh, student of Aleister Crowley in ritual magic and became the uh, leader of the OTO branch, OTO being uh, Crowley's uh, religious branch organization for uh, Thelema. Jack Parsons became the uh, leader, you know, in the uh, 50s or so. So he had he had a couple of <laughs> different lives going on here, the rocket scientist, but also this ritual magician. And uh, somewhere along the line, he and L. Ron Hubbard uh, became associates. This was before Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard was kind of a budding uh, science fiction author, and uh, Hubbard later claimed that he became associated with Jack Parsons and Ritual Magic because he was on an assignment for naval intelligence, uh, basically uh, to uh, spy on uh, Parsons to see what the hell he was up to, this rocket scientist messing around with Ritual Magic, and he also had this <laughs> bohemian scene going on. Who knows what the uh, truth is, but... And the, uh, something I've get, gotten into quite a bit in some of my research. They 
conducted a magical ritual. You know, part of it was trying to call down this moon child uh, magical ritual called the Babylon working. And uh, during the course of these Babylon workings out in the Mojave Desert, which was uh, where a lot of the early UFO contactee stuff went down, in 1946, uh, Hubbard and Parsons uh, conducted a magical ritual where they uh, basically uh, called down a UFO or some type of alien what? entity. Some sort. Some sources say it was what a. They do uh, summon Lam's brother or something. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's connected to it. Some type of entity from Venus, I've heard. Um, Crowley did that back in the uh, early part of the uh, century. Summoned up. Lam, who looked mm-hmm. at an entity who looked a heck of a lot like an alien gray. Now, some uh, researchers suggest that uh, Parsons and Hubbard opened up a similar uh, portal, doorway, whatever you want to uh, call it, but they weren't as adept as Crowley at cr- uh, closing that portal. And so what they did was basically usher in the modern era of UFOs, uh, this was 1946 when Parsons and Hubbard did their thing. 1947 became began the uh, modern era of UFOs where uh, Kenneth Arnold has his famous sightings and the Roswell crash happened in uh, 1947. So that's one crazy wild theory, but kind of makes sense to me sometimes, especially in the wee hours. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll just uh, tie this, uh, kind of uh, wind this up a little bit. Uh, Hubbard went on to found Scientology, and basically he was using a lot of things he had learned from Crowley and Parsons as well. And if you if you dig deeply into the history of Scientology and Dianetics and what they really uh, believe, not the uh, what you see publicly, but if you if you're in the inner circle and you go deeply into Scientology, Dianetics, they believe that uh, they're from, uh, you know, the those that are called the operating thetans, those in the highest order of uh, Scientology, are basically ascended from a uh, or descended from a race of aliens that came to uh, Earth. Uh, hit inside of a volcano of or something like that, right? Yeah, and so man, that's kind of the wackiness of uh, California and Southern California in particular. Uh, afterwards, in the early '50s, is when some of the uh, most memorable uh, contact UFO contactees had their sightings, like George Adamski. Whether he was a hoaxer or whatever, he had his sightings in. Uh, early 50s, 1952s, as well as people like uh, oh, uh, George uh, Van Tassel out at uh, Giant Rock and George Hunt Williamson. There's a lot of Georges in that <laughs> early uh, movement for some reason. And so this is the rich, fertile ground that I've wandered in my... Uh, well, you talk about the Integratron here, too. And yeah. that ties into George Van Tassel. And since you brought up George Van Tassel, we can go in that direction now. Because this stuff just seems all to go... It, it's weird because everything you're talking about is all interchangeable and all interconnected from that area. It's kind of like, at this point, is somebody going to go down there and just run into a cult somewhere? But anyways, um, George Van Tassel, what, what was the story with him and what was the story with the Integratron? Hi, I'm a skeptic. 
Little Mercy, the wee beastie who lives in the look. I want to talk about Monster Talk, the podcast that skeptically examines monster stories. Oh, listen to your fancy talk. Why are you just watching the woo-woo monster shows on the telly last night? Huh? Oh, uh, yeah. But but I watch those because they help me hold my skeptical... Do not be telling me your porky paws, lad. Look, why don't you go back in that water over there and let me talk to people about Monster Talk? Ooh, does it have pictures? No, it doesn't have pictures. It's a podcast. Oh, I like pictures myself. That's proper television. Look, if you like pictures so much, then how come all the photos of you are so blurry? I don't know what you're talking about. I never had my picture taken. Well, that's, that's probably true. I don't want to be on your show. I want to be on Britain's Got Talent like Susan Boyle. I want to sing a proper Scottish song. Anyway, please check out Monster Talk from your preferred podcast aggregator or from monstertalk.org. I'm going to be rich. Hey, freaks and freakettes. What's up? My name is Sister Stroke, and if you're looking for some old-school house or you just need something to get you moving through your day, then check out my show, Brick City House. We bring the bounce every Wednesday night, 1 p.m. CST, 7 p.m. GNT. And that's right there at chicagohousefm.com. Or you can find us on iTunes. Go to Electronica, scroll down till you see Chicago House FM. We are right there. Take care, everybody, and don't forget, freak free. P.S. Once again, your promo is obsolete. How long will it take? How long will you wait to make another new promo? Would you prefer Roshan make you one instead? There is no promo. The promo is a lie. Hi there, folks. I'm Pastor Recoil, and I'm here to share with you a message about the double bacon rainbow. Because I like double bacon rainbows, really all you need to know. And do you know who else likes bacon? Seder. I would marry bacon before I'd marry a gay. Over at the-bunker.net. Can I just marry a pig? Just its pork belly. Check out Transmissions from the Bunker at the-bunker.net. I'm ignoring the new promo because I don't want to make one. <laughs> Who was George Van Tassel? George Van Tassel worked for uh, Hughes Aircraft back in the uh, late 40s, early uh, 50s. And at some point, he decided that uh, he wanted to break free of doing the 9 to 5 job. So he he and his family headed out to the uh, desert, to the town of uh, Landers. This is out in the Yucca Valley area. And they discovered Giant Rock. There was an airstrip out at uh, Giant Rock. And Van Tassel set up uh, quarters there. And his, they built a uh, hamburger stand, and his wife was famous for uh, making her apple pie. Occasionally, Howard Hughes and other people would fly into uh, Giant Rock. They lived in Landers, but they had a, uh, underneath Giant Rock, uh, George Van Tassel would have meditation groups show up now and then. And uh, had a living quarters under Giant Rock, and at one point, he... Uh, went into a meditation and contacted certain entities from another uh, galaxy, planet, what have you. The Venusians? Gave George. <laughs> well, they, they weren't Venusians. He had some name for them, and they had a certain technology. It was called tensor uh, 
communications. It was kind of like a laser that beamed stuff into his head. And what they imparted to George, they gave him the directions on how to build this uh, building, this machine called the Integratron. And so George went forth and built this thing in nearby Landers. And basically it's what you see today is a dome building. And basically what it was was a giant electric uh, capacitor was the idea of it. And that it was a great uh, a rejuvenator that would uh, rejuvenate people, maybe uh, make them immortal was the idea. What? And it, mm-hmm. and it basically put out uh, electronic pulses. You know, there's this whole science using electricity to cure people. And it can also cause damage, too, at certain uh, frequencies. So it was going to be set at the uh, frequency once this thing began, went into operation where uh, people could walk into it. You'd walk around inside the Integratron and walk out, and it would uh, basically uh, rejuvenate folks. And Van Tassel's big plan, you know, was to have several thousand people a day walking inside of this thing. It was never the building, and I'm not uh, a, a very articulate when it comes to <laughs> science, but uh, it was never uh, completed, and so you were left with the uh, building itself, the Integratron, which is qu- pretty miraculous. They built it. it. It's a dome structure, and it's made completely out of wood. There was no nails or anything. It was all grooved together. Hmm. And so uh, he started having uh, Van Tassel became a player on the ufological scene back in the days after his uh, uh, sighting or communication with the aliens. And he started having these uh, giant rock spacecraft conventions, he called them, out there in giant rock. And uh, you can get on the web and look and uh, Google it, uh, look up giant rock, and you'll see these huge gatherings. And back in the day, at its height, you'd have like 10,000 people out there. And this is out in the desert. There's no damn shade. I, I go out there all the time, and it's like you don't want to spend a lot of time outside, uh, especially during the heat of summer. But somehow they attracted all all these folks who, that were the who's who of ufology. You'd have uh, the George Adamski, the George Hunt Williamson's, uh, this uh, – down the line, all the major players, Jim Mosley used to go out there, and uh, Truman Bethram as well. Could just list all the famous contactees. They would go to these things, and the, part of the motivation, he was trying to raise money to build the Integratron. Eventually, by the uh, mid to late 70s, uh, the uh, convention so- kind of died down. And Adamski died in uh, 1978, but the... Uh, place remains open for for a period of time it fell into disrepair and there was even some people out there who bought the place and going to turn it into a discotheque but uh pretty cool and in recent uh, yeah yeah recent years i've been involved uh with the retro ufo conference which we put on i helped put on in uh 2008 and uh i think it ran from 2006 2007 2008 and so it's still a uh, great historical artifact there that basically uh, harkens back to that golden era of the UFO contactees. That's kind of the history of the Integratron and uh, Giant Rock and George Adamski. 
Giant Rock itself, until a piece of it shipped off a few years ago, was the largest freestanding boulder in the uh, USA. Haven't the uh, UFO convention started to spark back up there, though? Uh, No, they've been kind of duds, actually. (laughs) So they tried doing it and they just went nowhere? Well, it's tough. Yeah, you, yeah, you put down a show in the middle of a desert. There's like nothing out there except for a giant rock and a building that looks like a Jiffy Pop. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the it, building's very cool. used. Oh, yeah. It's very cool to me. It's, uh, yeah, they. Uh, it was bought by a couple a, of. Some sisters bought it a couple, out. Yeah. The uh, Carl sisters are their names. And they yeah. put on uh, different uh, events there. And they're into doing crystal. Uh, Music killing with uh, different baths. bowls. You use. Sound baths, that's exactly what they are. Yeah. And they, they were involved in the uh, conferences we put on in 2000, uh, I guess it was 2008. The first conference was 2006, 2007. 2008, I helped organize one. We put a lot of work into it, and I, I kind of brought in the people I wanted to see. We had Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop and Ken Thomas and Guy Malone was out there and Chica oh, you Bruce. You got Guy out there? How'd uh-huh. you manage to and, get Guy uh, out there? He's my bud. No kidding. Yeah, well, oh, wow. we're good friends. That's awesome. Guy Malone is yeah. a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. My relationship with him started uh, a couple of years before that. I, I spoke at the first uh, retro UFO there at the Integratron, and Guy heard my uh, presentation was all on were the U- early UFO contactees ritual magicians and I got into all this stuff with Parsons and Hubbard mm-hmm. and Crow- Crowley and my own experience back in the day where I had a, a psychedelic UFO experience which I think was kind of a unwitting magical ritual so the whole theory behind this is that uh, the experience itself is uh, could be we're participants in the experience and using magical ritual or psychedelics or however Adam, you were you high? Get there. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I was. And, and <laughs> trance states are yeah. all connected to this experience. So I got to be buddies with uh, Malone. He brought me out to uh, Roswell in uh, 2007 for the 60th, and I talked uh, there. But So for this retro UFO, we Put a lot of time in, had a lot of uh, cool uh, speakers, and you only got like 50 or less people uh, showing up. And that's kind of the state of uh, where UFO conferences are. There's really a limited audience of people who are hardcore fans. Even the uh, conferences that are in a comfortable hotel where you have uh, all your needs, not like going out to the desert, even then... And I've written a, I'm writing a piece about this right now. Even now, you know, at the, these conferences, at best, the more successful conferences will get 200, 300 people. And I'd say a quarter of those are people who are either connected to the conference, they got a press pass or something, they got in free. So it's, it's really a dying uh, thing, these UFO conferences. They had their heyday with uh, George Van Tassel and his conferences. And then in the uh, late 60s, they had some conferences in New York that were pretty big, uh, you know, during there was kind of a hysteria or you had a show like The Invaders and that's when Star Trek was uh, starting. There was more interest. Now it's just more of a uh, subculture, I think, that's kind of dwindling out, which is not to say that uh, 
research in ufology is dying. I think there's some good researchers still out, or new researchers coming up in the field that uh, are doing some good work. Well, I'm going to ask you about one more thing, and then we'll let you go. I've got to ask you about the whole Tiffany conspiracy thing, because when I think of Tiffany, the most recent memory comes along was the movie that she did with Debbie Gibson on the Sci-Fi Channel, which was great because they had some great gratuitous cleavage shots in the show. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you've got I, I can't even begin to explain this story. It's just so out there and so whacked where apparently she's part of a save the world behind the scenes secret society. Give it a shot at trying to explain this, because it's just one of those ones that we've got to cover. <laughs> it starts with Tuesday Weld, and that she was Illuminati high priestess back in the day, and I'm assuming people know who Tuesday Weld is. If not, Google her or go uh, check out some of her uh, movies. She, you know, she was a teenage heartthrob and became the 60s starlet. And uh, she never really uh, became a huge star, but she was uh, pretty renowned. And uh, later roles, she was like in uh, oh, some of her uh, later movies. What was that uh, movie she did with Robert De Niro? You remember that? The uh, was it? Want to say the gangs? No, it was like the gangs of New York or oh, yeah. the uh, so. not the gangs of New York, but it was the uh, Sergio Leone. Uh, movie the uh, there you go that was one of her later roles Dude, but, she was uh, in falling down she was awesome in falling down i love that movie which one was that falling down with uh, robert de niro one. where he no, starts robert de niro oh oh no 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 is uh, michael douglas michael douglas where dude. michael douglas so just loses it that's my favorite oh, that one of my great. favorite movies yeah me too wow she i didn't know she was in that i haven't seen oh, that yeah. for a while yep. was, i like uh so According to my source um, that I write about in the book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, uh, concurrent with all this, she was also this Illuminati high priestess that was influencing the whole 60s counterculture uh, movement. Uh, she was behind the whole psychedelic movement and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and she brought this sea changes, countercultural movement. She was also kind of a bad witch, too, and uh, she was behind the, according to my source, Jeffrey Turner, she was also <laughs> uh, be, behind the Manson family murders and uh, perhaps Whoa. the murder of uh, Natalie Wood. <clears throat> and uh, Holy cow, really? So at one time, well, who knows, but... Uh, no, I mean, that's what the, so that's what the rumor was? Wow. That's what my source, Jeffrey uh, Turner, talks about. Jeffrey uh, Turner is also a, a fan of Tiffany. If you uh, can find the movie I Think We're Alone Now, you'll find a lot more about uh, Jeffrey Turner. Turner claims that... Uh, oh, I know that name. Mm -hmm. I know that cat. He was. They were talking about him on one of the podcasts I was listening to. Banal and uh, Vaney uh, talked about him in one of their pop culture things. And I happen yeah, to hear right. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that's right. He follows her around. He goes to all her shows. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. yes, yes, I remember that one. Well, that's exactly who well, it that's, was. And that's my uh, source. Okay. And uh, I write about in the article, he's quite a uh, character and has a very vast knowledge of uh, conspiracies and such. 
And it sounds like kind of a whacked out theory about uh, Tuesday Weld, but the more I looked into this, the more I had other people outside of Jeffrey Turner, other sources, bringing me information about uh, Tuesday Weld. I won't get into all the uh, particulars, but it was like, well, shit, maybe there's uh, something to all of this. Maybe Turner has confabulated uh, some of it, but... Tuesday Weld's a very interesting uh, character, and there's more to her than meets the uh, eye. I'm continually, there's more odd stories I hear about Tuesday Weld. So we'll just leave Tuesday there and get into uh, Tiffany. Jeff Turner also claims that uh, Tiffany, of all people, is a major uh, player in this world of, uh, what is it, uh, international intrigue, things going on behind the... uh, Scenes. She she's more than just this uh, late '80s rock uh, singer who had was like a one-hit wonder. She's also the leader of something called the All Nations Movement, hmm. which is kind of like the the New World Order, but a good New World Order, not a bad New World Order. And she's trying to to <laughs> bring sorry. everybody onto the uh, same page. And uh, she's also a multi-dimensional time traveler, and she's doing all kinds of stuff. So things are looking up for us, and part of it was uh, to challenge uh, Tuesday Well. Tuesday Well, she's a lot older now, so she's kind of being ushered out. And there's a new a new harmonic phase coming in here, I guess, with the uh, uh, Tiffany and this all worlds movement. So that that's uh, Jeff Turner's story, and he's uh, sticking with it. Huh. But I've al- I've also heard this about 2012 too. It's not going to be a bad thing. I actually went to a uh, another UFO conference I write about, and this might be in a uh, upcoming edition of uh, UFO magazine. Went to a Sacramento UFO conference, and there was this uh, speaker by the name of Michelle Minnie talking about uh, 2012 and how it's actually going to be a good thing. We're going to 2012 on into 2013 is going to begin a new phase. You know, like the hippies back in the day talked about the age of Aquarius. We're 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 moving into yeah the old bad stuff and moving into a. more a new a new a new and better frequency there'll be some growing pains and bet you know heartache along the way but like maybe like a group acid trip you know where some people will get into the groove and roll with it and others will have some freak outs you know that's what we're gonna expect as we move into 2012 and into 2013 but this is all paving the way for uh, good times down the road sounds like fun i've had my share of freak outs i'm all set <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, tell them where they can get your books, where they can find you, how they can get in contact with you if they want to. My books can be found most easily on Amazon. Look for my latest, which I'm uh, pimping with a passion. It's Happy Trails <laughs> to High Weirdness. Pimping with a, a conspiracy, passion. <laughs> yeah. That's a awesome. Conspiracy theorist tour guide. Happy Trails to High Weirdness, a conspiracy theorist, theorist tour guide, available from Amazon.com. And I have a uh, website, AdamGoRightly.com, and also a blog, GoRightly.wordpress.com. So if your listeners navigate uh, there, they can find out uh, more. All right, Adam, thanks for being on the show, man. We appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
right, hit the button. I just hit the button too. <laughs> oh, this is why I don't drink anymore. Okay, so that was Mr. Adam Gorightly. Um <laughs> He's an interesting cat. I'll say that. He is he an really interesting is. cat. He's got a lot of good information. Well, we Tim Banal actually was going to have him on the show this week, but because of what happened out in Denver, Banal actually got a lot of insider scoop information. If you haven't listened to the, the Tim Banal episode, hopefully by the time I have this out, the new Banal of America will be out. And it goes into a lot about what actually happened in that movie theater because Tim knew people that were in that theater when that was going down. So Tim's show is going to be really good on it. But he was supposed to have been all the interview got pushed back or whatever. And we were going to wait till Tim interviewed him and find out what he had to say. That, that way we wouldn't be asking him the same questions. Well, as fate would have it, I said, you know what? He's available. Let's get him on tonight. And the interviews that I heard before weren't like this one. And I don't think any interview we've ever done has been quite like this one. <laughs> mm. So anyway, we did um, have one that didn't make it to the air that was similar to this one. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the outtakes. Some of that was in the outtakes episode from last Christmas though. I mean, it wasn't I wasn't bad. You know, he had some good stuff. No, it was good. It was it was fine. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was, was a, there was there was definitely a lot of laughter. Adam, if you hear this, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. We know you. Yep. We know you had some alcohol running through your system, but hey, whatever. He was laughing too. So <laughs> yeah, he was laughing. He knew it. He knew it. It was so. Well, you know, I, what am I going to do? Am I going to trash it and say no? I'm not running this on the air. Of course, no. It was fine. It was fun. Okay, episodes for August. I'm going to be out of town for a week. I'm going to a major geek gaming convention. You're going to be got some family business going on that you got to take care of. We're putting the old man to rest, so, um, Grandpa. Putting grandpa to rest. That's right. That's yep. why you changed your profile picture. I knew immediately. Actually, it's, it's a like, wrong grandpa. That's up though. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's my papito. That's not. Uh, that's not the wife's grandfather. He's no. Pop shot himself when I was a little kid. This guy just passed away last August. Oh. <laughs> okay. So well, on a lighter note. <laughs> on a lighter note, if you'd like to email the show, you can send us email at projectarchivist at gmail.com. If you would like to call the show, because Raj called the show and left this monstrous message that I can't run because it's just too freaking long. But the number to call the show is 734-681-0459. Call us. We'd like to hear from you. You know what? I'm going to go off on a little tiny rant in the listeners. I'm not hearing enough from you guys. I'd like to hear more. I would like to hear, you know, are, are, are we doing good with the interview shows? Because we, we ran the last Ramblecast, and we got a good response on that. And everybody was like, well, yeah, I like it when you do Ramblecast. I wish you'd do more. And it was like, well, then why don't you tell us? We'll do more. Yeah, um, right. Call. Call. Write an email. Write us on Facebook. Yeah, we're on Facebook. You know, look us up on the Books of Faces. Uh, right, I'm, 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 I'm one step away from leaving my Google number on here. You got your own Google number? I do. Yeah, really? I gave it to you. Yeah. I forgot all about it that. It rings my cell phone directly. Oh. Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, why not? <laughs> what a, I mean, what am I going to Yeah, I can't talk to you right now. Kid's screaming. Sorry. Yeah, get a hold of us. Let us know. Let us know what you think about the show. Even if you just want to call in to say hi or if you want to send us over an email, I understand because it's not a 1-800 number. If you want to shoot us an email, that'd be great. Find us on Facebook. Look us up at projectarchivist.com. We've had a pretty good influx of members lately. Mm -hmm. um, we got a lot of lurkers still. We got a lot of people that join and just lurk. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Go ahead. The other thing is, I mean, call in or, or, or write in. Tell us what, you know, some of your ideas. Who would you like to hear? What would you like us to cover? You know, do you want me to talk less? Do you want me to shut up? Do you want me to shave my head? I mean, what do you, 
<laughs> what do you want? You'll do it I mean, too. Yeah, well, you can't shave your head, you bald pate. Oh, but shut up. I, I still I have a ton of hair. Uh, we can fix that. <laughs> what, did I have a ton of hair? What are you going to do? Zap me? Anyways. Listen, powder. <laughs> Dude, after the show we've had tonight. <laughs> oh, man. I know. Tell me about it. It's okay. It's early in the morning. Oh, it's 2.20. We yep. always give a shout out as to what time the show we're done recording. Heard. Yeah, nothing to um, exposing either. All right. Well, that's it, folks. We've got some good stuff on the way. Good stuff. God, you can tell I'm tired. I, I, I am vicariously drunk at this point. I thought you were going to say I'm loaded with Vicodin. <laughs> like, wow, you're doing well. <laughs> All right, folks. This is Rojan. Peace out from the D. This is Lobo from Connecticut. I'm drunk. I'm, I'm drunk. You bring out drunk. A lot of Georges in there. Like George, George Jetson, George of the Jungle. George Van Allen, George. George Van Allen. George uh, Jefferson. George Jefferson. George Jefferson passed away. He died, yeah, man. He died. That um, sucks. <laughs> peace out, folks. Peace.
that's great. Yeah, you got to do this live. Yeah, right? <laughs> that might be a bit of a train wreck. That's okay. It makes it entertaining. Yeah, right? No, yeah. Not the dead air, though. No, dead, air's, uh, dead air is the, uh, the suicide leap for podcasting. <laughs> Usually, when the, when he walks away from the microphone, he usually has the thing recording still and catches me saying something stupid. <laughs> what the heck? What the hell is he doing? He's a squeegee? Sounds like he's got a squeegee out. <laughs> There was also got a guy living out there named. Uh, you can come. It's hard to. Dan, they uh, built a. Uh, basically, the, the guy who uh, was there before Van Tassel. This is terrible. I can't remember this uh, guy's uh, name. I, I should probably start this whole thing over again. <laughs> Let's let's start. The V, the V, that's all, folks. <laughs>